Welcome to this week's Leader's Guide for the Spring Quarter of Life Groups. This resource is provided to help you prepare and effectively lead your group. For your convenience, you can also download a written version of the guide under Life Group Leader Tools at gatewaycrc.org forward slash lifegroups. Remember to tune in each week and to look out for the weekly edition of Life Group Leaders Weekly. Let's join Adam Van Dopp now as he introduces this week's material. Well, hey there, Life Group Leaders. I hope that you are all doing well and that as the season marches on, that you're all staying healthy, that you're all staying happy, and that you're all staying strong. But but also more than that, as I'm thinking about it just now, uh, I hope that you're all growing in your faith as well in the season that we find ourselves in, that through the messages from Sunday mornings, the worship, the prayers that we do together as a church, uh, but also that from the, the, the times that you gather over Zoom and uh, Google Teams or whatever uh, with your life groups that uh, these these moments are causing you to grow that they're causing you to actually grow towards your heavenly father who loves you who cares for you and uh, as we've been reminded over and over again that he's jealous for you he wants the best for you Uh, i hope that you're discovering what that means more and more each day and that uh, as a result of all of our studies that we're doing together that uh, your, your faith has grown stronger and deeper Well, let's at this point jump into our material for this coming week, uh, week seven. So getting to know you here, uh, we're going to be looking again. uh, This is the seventh week of meeting and uh, in our digital ways. But, you know, you're going to have people who there are are starting to feel that fatigue of meeting in this in this way. So continue to use these opening questions to get your conversation started and begin on a very positive note and encouraging uh, side of of conversation where your group can just spend a bunch of times. And, you know, with both groups that I'm, I'm a part of, we probably spent way too much time in these two questions. Uh, but the reality is, last night as I was thinking about it, and Monday morning as well, these questions get us all talking, they get everybody chipping in, and that's just fantastic. We get to know each other a little bit better, a little little more aware of who each other is through these conversations. And, uh, you know, I, I want to remind you all that uh, it's our goal, primary goal, to cultivate meaningful relationships so that we have a sense of that we belong to something greater than just ourselves that we have life groups that we are part of. And uh, those those are good things. So ask this first question, what was your least favorite food as a child? Do you still dislike it or do you love it even more now? And you know, it's a funny thing in my house where we are convincing, are trying our best to convince our children that uh, some foods that um, we have now are things that I, I couldn't stand as a, as a kid, like a lot of Asian style foods I couldn't stand as a kid. Uh, but now it's literally my go-to. I love Asian flavors and Thai flavors in meals and uh, my kids pretty much can't stand any one of those. And you know, uh, we, we like to tell them that eventually their, their, their taste buds will change. And uh, they, they might be like daddy later on. They're like, no, we don't want to. It's funny, uh, enjoy those conversations. And then secondly, again, taking a more of a serious spin on an opening question, but they're still fantastic to reflect on. Uh, what is the most impactful testimony of God's work in someone's life that you have ever heard? And this could be anything, testimonies that you've heard in church or testimonies that you've heard at moments like profession faith, like we'll hear this coming Sunday and for the next couple. Uh, they could be uh, videos that you've seen or uh, testimonies that you've seen in larger venues like in concerts or uh, things like that. And you know, for me, it was a video and I remember watching uh, as a guy named Nick Vojakic, Croatian individual who was born with no arms and no legs. And he even has a little, little gig with his little leg that looks like a little chicken finger. Um, and he 
talks about how God has helped him overcome the challenges, of course, of having no arms and no legs. And I just I remember watching it with a bunch of students, and it was just remarkable to hear of this man and his journey and how he lives life, and all by the grace of God, leaning into that in amazing ways. Uh, so, on, like I said, on Sunday morning, we had the opportunity to witness three people share their testimonies. And uh, then at the last point of the message on Sunday was to, was driving us to be also the ones to share a story that God has written for us uh, with others. And so I invite you to use this question to be inspired by the other testimonies that you've heard. Uh, then we go into the quick review section where we ask uh, to, the first question being, looking back at your notes from this week's teaching, was there anything that particularly caught your attention, challenged, or confused you? And again, this is just a solid question to get you all talking about what we learned about on Sunday morning. And uh, again, as I encourage you every time, lead by example, show them your group that you are learning as well. Uh, and then we have the second question of the four questions that Pastor Justin walked us through in the message on Sunday morning. Which of the three answers do you think are the most difficult to accept in our culture? So the answers we include there for you is number one, the exclusivity of God, that God is the one, that he is the only. That two, sin entered the world and that was the cause of uh, all the angst that we have in life. And that number three, that Jesus is the only answer, that he is the savior. And three things that our world will fight against uh, perpetually. We will uh, head into the God story, the triad. So you'll read the text and ask those questions about the text. What does the passage say about God? What does the passage say about the world? And what does the passage say about us as humanity? And then we will lead ourselves into the digging deeper sections. So first question here is read Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 through 5. Hearing God always leads to Christian service. What does it look like for you to follow God with all of your heart, soul, and strength? And so when it comes to listening, we need to see that listening just isn't hearing the words that are spoken, uh, but that true listening leads to the hearer's life change and growth in their Christian journey. Now I invite your group here while on this topic to look at James verses one, uh, sorry, James chapter one, verses 22 to 25, where James writes about being doers of the word, that there's an action that results in hearing the, the challenges of scripture. And he goes on to write in the next few verses some very specific action items that result from hearing the law of God. And that's about entering into relationship with the widows, with the orphans, people who are in desperate need because of their own lack of connection into the greater community. And so while it's also uh, of interest in these verses from Deuteronomy that uh, for the original audience, when they heard the, the, the speakers talk about the heart, they did not think about the heart in the same way that you and I do. You see, we, we think about the heart as the center of our, of our emotions, where we put together the words, I love you with all of my heart uh, together. But the Israelites, they would have heard it differently. Uh, and the, and the, they would hear it in the same way that we hear the word mind, where the mind is the place where our decisions are made, the choices are determined, where our wills are acted upon. And so they would have heard that when uh, God commanded him, follow me with all of your heart, he's, he's, he, they're hearing him say, follow me with all of your right choices. Follow me with the right choice to actually follow, follow me. Where the discussion goes on to about the soul, where the soul would have been understood as the inner person the way that we know ourselves and who we are to be. And then interestingly enough with uh, the word strength there, they would have literally understood it as with your very muchness. 
Uh, Hebrew can be a, a silly, funny language, and it kind of pairs all these words together in one, one short word that we put together as strength. And it really does sound actually quite odd, but it essentially means that we follow God with our every effort, with all of our focus, with every ounce of our attention. And that's how the, the original audience would have heard those, those, uh, those phrases. So we ask then the question, uh, why does the Lord need to actually command this? And so the Israelites, well, they were surrounded by nations who served all kinds of gods, like Baal, who is a god um, of who was many and not just simply just one. Well, the ways that these, these gods were worshipped took on many different forms, depending on which god they were appealing to, and uh, they would have to do different things for different gods at different times at different places. But Yahweh, the god of the Israelites and the god of ours, uh, he tells us and them that he is one and that he is not many. He tells us that he is to be worshipped with our full attention upon himself, as opposed to being divided up across a whole variety of gods. He says, I am the one, I am the only, and you worship me with all of you. So as the Lord commands for the entire heart, the entire soul, and the entire strength, the Lord is asking for our everything. That in everything we do, that we will lean on him, that we would give him all that he deserves. And he does this also because he knows that we are gripped in the realities of sin and evil. That we are so easily distracted by our surrounding people who live otherwise. And so God tells us that he wants and deserves our undivided attention. And with all this in mind, I invite you to consider the following additional question. What does it take to give the Lord our undivided attention? Second question here, read Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Now, this is a section of scripture that uh, we we glanced over in uh, the message on Sunday morning, but I thought this is such a neat portion of text, I thought we could include that in our discussions here in our life groups. So as the Israelites entered into the new land, they took ownership of the property, the fields, and the houses, which they did not cultivate, nor did they build. But yet, as they moved into the land, they fully enjoyed. What gifts have you received that you did not deserve? And so once again, in this conversation here, in this text, we see once again the language of deliverance and salvation preceding God's instructions. So in verses 10 through 13, Moses tells us about this incredible move that is about to take place, telling the nation about the good things that are just on the horizon for them. Then at the end of verse 12, we get this reminder that God led them out of slavery, out of Egypt, out of that fiery furnace. And then in verse 13, they receive God's instruction. We once again we see that grace and love came first and our obedience follows the receiving of that grace and love. But I encourage you, picture for yourselves the, the grace that is being extended to the Israelites here. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years where they've lived, been living amongst the hills and the dust and the dirt and the small little trees. And they've, they've been sustained there in amazing ways. But now they get the gift of already built cities and already built homes and already planted fields and farms. And you got to consider what kind of gift this would be. And you know, Pastor Justin and I were just talking about this reality in, in our day and age where we, you and I, we have so much. But consider that um, God now just suddenly gives you uh, this mansion, this already uh, filled to the brim host with everything that you need in the perfect place. And for me, I'm picturing this, this immaculate property on a beach in Hawaii and God just says, here, go here. Everything that you need, everything that you could ever want uh, for life ahead of you is exactly right here, exactly as you need it. It's a gift to you to love and to enjoy and to carry on with. Well, I don't need it at this point in life, but God's giving it to me and it's an, it's an incredible idea. 
Well, that's how he has just treated the Israelites. He's now giving them this incredible gift that, well, they don't deserve. Um, He knows that they need, um, but it's just such an incredible, incredible thing. And so for you and your group, many of you may not have received similar kinds of gifts as like amazing tracts of land filled with everything that you need. Uh, But we can be grateful for the people in our group who share the little gifts. And I kind of brainstorm a few of these little gifts that we might we, we might hear here, and that's meals being dropped off in a time of need, or small debts being forgiven, a uh, piece that was offered in a moment of trial, uh, a tool that was returned cleaner than how it was when it was lent out, or even someone to watch your house while you were gone. Or, you know, we need to recognize that while God works in these amazingly large ways of of incredible gifts to incredible nations. We need to recognize that he also works and is quite active in these small little ways. Which leads us to a little bullet point question here. Read Matthew 6 verses 31 to 33, where we recognize that God's provision keeps us humble and keeps us dependent upon his power. And how is that true in your life? And so this text that we're looking at in Matthew 6 comes from a groupings of uh, Jesus' teachings called the Sermon on the Mount. It's where Jesus is teaching about how to live life his way uh, with a deepened sense of his law. And so he has just told us about not storing up treasures on earth, but in heaven. And then he says in verse, uh, I think, 28 or something like that, he says, Therefore, do not be anxious about your life. And so because we're so invested in following God with our whole selves, our hearts, our souls, and our strengths, that God will grant us all that we need for this life that that he has already given us for us to live. Just like how he provided for the Israelites a prosperous and already developed promised land. The Lord will do the same for you and for I. But these gifts, however, they keep us humble and they keep us in line, largely because we know that we don't deserve them and that they're given to us simply out of God's love for us. So I invite you to explore this reality of God's gift to us and how we've experienced them with your groups. Third question, read Deuteronomy 6 verses 18 through 19, where Moses has has repeated now this this line again after repeating a number of times throughout Deuteronomy 1 through 6, that it may go well with you in the land to come. So what is then the distinct benefits of being obedient to God's law? So one of the first times that we heard this this line from Moses was in the original of the giving of the Ten Commandments, where in fact it wasn't the voice of Moses, it was actually the voice of God. And the line appears there in the Sixth Commandment, where God says to us, Honor your father and your mother, that the days may be long in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. We need to recognize in this moment that obedience to authority is placed above us, leads to longevity, and leads to blessings. And that's just a really neat reality for us to sit in. I'll say it again. Obedience to the authority that is placed above us, thinking of our parents, think of our grandparents, thinking of even, uh, I want to even say our governments or our seniority of our bosses. Obedience to our authority that is placed above us leads to longevity and blessings. Which launches us into another conversation here. Uh, What do the following two passages teach us about how life can go well for us? So read Colossians 3 verse 23 to 24, where Paul is writing to the Colossians about living Christ-honoring lives. He he talks to us directly uh, to wives, to husbands, to children, and to slaves, and he tells them all that they are to work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And he goes on to say that there's an inheritance coming, that that they, that we, should live like this. And so ask your group this additional question. What is this inheritance that Paul's even talking about? 
And then even as you're talking about that inheritance, I invite you to ask additionally, is there an aspect of this inheritance that we receive already in this life on this earth? And so if you're willing and you have time, uh, go back a few verses in Colossians there to verses 12 through uh, 17 and invite someone to read that text and see if there's anything to add to this conversation. Next read, Galatians 6 verses 7 through 10. Here Paul alludes to the season of farming, uh, that there's are times to sow and that there's times to harvest, and that both activities take attention and determination. And God invites us to play roles in both of those activities. You see, God also knows that this task, these, these, these farming roles, that they're time-consuming, that they're physically and emotionally draining, as there's often long hours and intentionality and uh, scheduling and all kind of duties that go along with these, with these duties. What Paul leaves us with is a confidence that our work will result in the harvest, that there will be lost souls saved. And in this conversation about inheritance and reward and that good things will come and that there will be things that go well for us, when we talk about these lost souls being saved, I'm, I'm thinking that that sounds like an incredible benefit and reward that we already get to potentially enjoy here on earth. And then we get to take it home with this final question. Read Deuteronomy 6 verses 8 through 9 where we recognize that we are really not too different than the sheep in Elizabeth Elliot's illustration that Pastor Justin shared on Sunday morning, recognizing that God knows that we need constant reminders. So how in the 21st century do we tie them as symbols? And how do we in the 21st century write these laws and these commandments on our door frames to help us remind them of the things that God is instructing us to do? And I, I guess I was just reflecting on this this morning. Um, you see, we, we, a lot of us wear uh, crosses on our necklaces. Uh, and a fad that seems to have passed, uh, perhaps gratefully, is the wearing of WWJD bracelets. And some people still put Jesus fish on their bumpers on their cars, while others hang crosses or verses on their walls. And these are all simply neat things for us to point ourselves back to Jesus and to invest in ourselves and time with him. So I encourage you to spend time talking as a group to help each other come up with other ways to be refocused on Christ in the coming week. And so you might even uh, rephrase the question here by asking, what works to remind us to focus on Christ and his word? Well, I think that boat wraps up our, our time here and going through all of our questions. I hope and honestly, I honestly pray, uh, leaders, that uh, as we do these things, uh, talk through our, our uh, passages and talk through the scripture notes, that you yourselves are being challenged in your faith, that you're, you're growing and that you're growing closer to the Lord, becoming more aware of how God has invited you to live. And leaders, I invite you, if you do want to chat about uh, your own journeys, if you have your own questions, I invite you, just give me a call, uh, 604-309-5858. I would love to chat uh, about your faith with you as well. So leaders, uh, thank you once again, and I uh, pray a blessing upon your meetings this week.